Well, it has begun. That's what we used to say. I mean, those of us who were older, those of us who remember a day past, and unlike some of you who are younger, well, this wouldn't quite fit because when we say, well, it has begun, we would think of Thanksgiving and now the Christmas season, now the Christmas shopping has begun. And we'd add, he's coming. And we meant Santa. You better watch out. You better not cry. Today, we can say it has begun, and it has this very day, the season of Advent. And we can say he's coming, but we're not talking about Santa. We are talking about the Lord Jesus. He's the one who's coming. That's what the word Advent means. And it is about more than just one. Advent means he came. He comes. And he's going to come again. And that's where we need to focus in these weeks preceding the big event. And we need to ask, we can't help but ask, where do we begin this Advent? Well, we begin at the beginning. <laughs> that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? We begin at the beginning, but, but then we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about next week, we begin at the end. The beginning and the end. And then we talk, Will, about what comes in between, namely how Jesus comes today and ultimately how he comes not only in history but into our hearts. But let's, let, let's begin at the beginning. That's where we go. First things first. You've heard that saying. I've heard it too. But I didn't know that it really got coined in 1894 in a book. And that it also got repeated by William Auden in a poem in 1956. And those of us more tied to the contemporary site it's a sports show, a sports show on the Fox network. First things first. And you know what it means. I mean, you have to start at the beginning. And the beginning, those are the most important things. That's why we begin there. And some people may not think that Advent is the most important thing before Christmas. But you and I, in faith, we can say that. If we want to appreciate, if we want to appreciate Christmas, Christ's coming, and if we want to really celebrate what happened then and there. So let's begin at the beginning. Do you know there's two books of the Bible that start that way? In the beginning. Most commonly understood, and, and you'll remember that it's the very first book of the Bible. Logical, in the beginning, Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth. You heard from the second book that starts the same way. The Gospel of John, on purpose, I believe, started his Gospel saying, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Ultimately, the Word became flesh. That's the Son of God who became flesh, Jesus. That's from beginning to a very important time in history. But in the beginning, beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. 
He didn't just make them out of raw materials. He created in the fullest and best sense of that word. God created all that there is out of nothing. Nothing except his word. That's how God created. Remember, he said, let there be, and things came into existence that never, ever were. And what he created each day, each of the six days, it was said, and it was good. And as he beheld everything at the end, he said, it was very good. And on that last day, the sixth day of his creating work, it was human beings. It was people, people like you and me who were created, Adam and then Eve. Near the, the top, almost the very top of the line of God's all creations, only superseded by one. We read Psalm 8. We were made a little bit lower than the angels. People made in the image of God, the crown of his creation in human forms. The fall. That's what happened next. Between chapters 1 and 2, when creation was narrated, came chapter 3. It still comes, chapter 3. And one gets the sense that it wasn't too much after the beginning. Still, perhaps, in the big picture of the beginning, as Genesis puts a lot of pieces together. Adam and Eve, at that time, shortly after the beginning, it seems, they fell. They didn't just fall down on the earth. They fell spiritually. And chapter 3 narrates that whole scenario where one by one they fell into sin. First Eve at the temptation of Satan. And then Adam fell for it as well. And then, then comes what we read from Genesis this morning in the first reading. The accountability before God for sin. The accountability for not following what he said. Don't eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. He gathered the three parties, Eve, Adam, and Satan together. And it was time for God to pronounce the curse. We heard it read. It's important to hear it again. Part of the curse. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. This is the beginning of the consequence of the curse of God. I will put enmity between you and the woman. The speaker is God. God is the I, what he will do. He will create an enmity that is, well, it's very similar to the word itself. He'll create, he said, an enemy relationship between you and the woman. It's not just a snake. And it's not just an enemy between a snake and a woman or between a snake and humanity. It's deeper. It's more profound than that. I'll create enmity between you, the snake, and the woman. And the snake, the serpent, 
You know who God was talking about. Those of you familiar with the face, faith will say, Satan, the devil. And you're absolutely right. But then I will say to you, prove it. Prove it by the scriptures. How do you know? How can all of us know that that snake here receiving the curse was in fact Satan? Well, you know, when you get a good book in hand and you read it, you start at the beginning, right? But as every good book, the best book, you've got to read all the way to the end to find out the answers. And the answer is very clear in Revelation. The last book, chapter 12, listen. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. There it is. If you want to know from the Bible as it interprets itself, here it said, the very last book of the Bible, who that snake, who that serpent was. It was the devil who took the form, the shape, the the being of a snake. And it was he, and it was Eve who would be in an enemy relationship. Not just physically, and not that at all, actually, but spiritually. A spiritual enemy relationship. Eve is that woman. And one can also say, as you read Revelation, that that enmity was between Satan and the church. But we'll stick at this point with that biblical interpretation of Eve. I'll put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, between your offspring and hers. Your, Satan's offspring. And you say, what? Satan has offspring? And the Bible will say, yes, it's the demons. It's the evil spiritual beings, which, by the way, Revelation 12 narrates how St. Michael, of all people, goes to war with the dragon, with the ancient serpent. And St. Michael wins the battle, and Satan is cast to earth. There that battle will be between you, the devil, and your offspring, the demons, and her seed or offspring. Singular, by the way. A person, someone, Someone would be at enmity between Satan and his demons, a child of Eve, one who comes as a human being to fight the battle, the spiritual warfare, to be sure. That's the curse. But interestingly, often in the Bible, when a curse is given, attached to it, is a promise, a good word in the midst of bad news. Genesis 3 goes on to say, he will crush your head. Remember, God speaking, speaking to the devil. He, the offspring, the seed of the woman, will crush your head. Crush. You know how you kill a snake, going back to that imagery. You know how you kill a serpent? You cut off its head. You crush it with your foot. That's how the seed will deal with the evil one, Satan. Crush your head. Kill you, ultimately. 
and you, Satan, will strike his heel. Strike. That, that is wound, but not ultimately unto death. And where does a snake strike to use the imagery of the spiritual reality? At the point of vulnerability is where a snake strikes. It's the point of vulnerability where Satan strikes. And ultimately, that's where Jesus was struck, but not killed, not crushed, but struck nonetheless in his vulnerable spot. And here is the key to all of it. That one, that seed of the woman is Jesus. Jesus, our Savior, the offspring of Eve. This has often been dubbed this whole business as the proto-evangelium, the, the foremost, the, the beginning of the good news of God in Jesus. Proto-evangelium. Now, the question is, did Eve understand this? Did Adam understand Jesus as the offspring come to save the world? Who knows? Literally, who knows? The, the Bible doesn't say what they knew. You and I, the other side of Jesus, with here the beginning and Jesus here, here we can sit in history and look back through Jesus and see that he was the promised offspring of the woman. Even Adam might have looked for an immediate answer to the hope, to the one who would deliver, but it was more. It was Jesus. And by the way, with this title of Proto-Evangelium, it was a church father by the name of Irenaeus who began his life in about 135 A.D., that many years after Jesus, who identified this dynamic in Genesis 3.15 as the battle between good and evil, between Satan and Jesus, the Savior. And it's also, once we get to this side of Jesus, it is made clear again and again, both in the Psalms as well as elsewhere. Where in the Psalms 91, it talks about crushing the head. And where Paul mentions in Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You know, I don't know if you saw a number of years ago or even recently, Mel Gibson's great movie, The Passion of the Christ. I remember seeing it in an introductory kind of way. And it, it's a tragic, but it's a powerfully tragic movie. And it began in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, lying face down in the ground, is praying to his Father. Remember what he prayed three times. Father, if there's any way, take this cup of suffering away from me. Three times. And in the movie, he stands up from that prayer. And there is an image of Satan. In fact, while he's praying, an eerie, spooky image of Satan is back and forth with, during Jesus' prayer. Jesus stands up in the movie, and there with one foot, he crushes a snake. Many didn't understand what that was all about. Now we know. Here we know. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, Christ the Savior, crushing the head of evil, of 
Satan himself. The first promise is right here along with the curse. Now, from from God's perspective, did God know? If Adam and Eve, we don't know, did God know? Well, he certainly must have. God is God. And while we don't know a lot about God, as a matter of fact, it reminds me, you remember Martin Luther? He wrote the catechism, but he also taught it. And he was teaching youngsters one time, and somebody raised his hand and said, Dr. Luther, what was God doing before creation? It's a little tangent. And Luther looked at him, probably with a smile on his face, and said, he was making hell for people like you who ask such a question. (laughs) A little sense of humor for people who ask such a question as you. We don't know what God was doing before creation. We don't know specifically, except we know that God didn't just come up and fly by the seat of his pants and come with a solution to a big problem he never envisioned. God is God, and God is good. Some people would look at this from a pessimistic standpoint and say, God arranged all this for people to fall into sin and go through all kinds of torment, even to this day. That's not a biblical point of view. The point of view sees God as good and in a bigger picture way as one who sent his son. John chapter 1. Foretold in Genesis, getting clearer and clearer through the words of Isaiah that we heard this morning, ultimately fulfilled in the seed of the woman that is the very descendant of Eve, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. God promised, and as always, He came through. He came, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. He came. This is where we begin, and this is where we go. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.